members have no need of it, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, that there should be no individual or no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Amen. You may be seated. I want to hone in on verse 25 and particularly on the closing clause of that verse, that there should be no division in the body, but that members should have the same care one for another. Interdependence and not independence. That's what I want to talk about for the next few moments. Interdependence and not independence. One might argue as they analyze the Corinthian letter that a major characteristic of the body is unity. But diversity is essential to unity. For the church is one body, but the body is not one member, it is many. The Corinthian church, much like in terms of reflection, our modern church today was divided where it should have been united and at least tried to be uniform where it was diverse. On the one hand, they were divided in reference to who should we follow in leadership. You read the first chapter and come around to the 12th verse, you'll see that they have issues with deciding who should we follow? Peter, Apollos, or Paul? And it's Paul who gives a correction, neither, except that you are following Jesus Christ through the direction to which he's leading us. On the other hand, the members try to be like each one in the recognition of their spiritual gift, not appreciating the diversity to which God had given them in the gift giving. Everyone cannot be the same. That's an argumented theme in the letter. In chapter 12, Paul makes clear if all of us was the same, then what would the body really be? It would almost be a freak appearance in your own mind for a moment to try to encapsulate that the whole body is just a single eye. But it's a diverse composition of various members in Paul's analogy of what the human body is. It's hands, it's eyes, it's ears, it's legs, it's feet, it's heart. But notice in the power to which the body in its locomotive work is empowered by a singleness of power. It's heart, and its heart has been regenerated by the Spirit of God, the singleness of what God does. It's a single body, but a multiplicity of outlooks and of operations. Because Paul said, part of your problem is you're not appreciative to the gift that you have. If you're an eye, do you know how blessed it is to be an eye? 
If you're a hand, do you know how favorable it is to have a hand? Do you know how blessed you are, Paul, conversing by analogy with the human body? Do you know how blessed it is if you are feet? For in each provision, you serve a purpose for the whole body. But when you read this letter, it's something interesting that comes about. What happens is, beginning in verse 12, there seems to be this conversation among the Corinthians that they get to a point, rather than to rejoice in the one point that they are, the one gift that they are, they become angry that they are not what someone else is. They fail to recognize that if you are appointed and anointed as a hand, God had a reason for you to be a hand and not an eye. In fact, Paul has to give a bit of correction when he says to them in verse 12 that the body is one, but yet many members and all the members of the same body and the same body also is of Christ. But to deepen his flow in verse 13, he says, it's by one spirit that God has empowered this entire body. Look what he says, we've been baptized into one body, whether we are Jew or Greek, whether we are slave or free, we all drink of the same spiritual cup. In other words, if you are interested in doing ministry only for self-gratification, you're not drinking from the cup of eternity, but you are drinking of selfishness and self-satisfaction and you know what that leads to. Whenever you can't be satisfied, then you're completely dissatisfied because you're not honoring God in that kind of approach. But look what he says, verse 14. Not only are we drinking from the same cup, but he says, for the body is not one member, which means that it's a tragedy when we translate that into contemporary terms, if the church is merely one-dimensional, because it's not. I don't care what church you go to in this world, it is never intended to be one-dimension. Just think of it this way. Everybody in the church sings, but nobody prays. Nobody preaches. Nobody does maintenance. Nobody, nobody does anything but sing in the choir so what you got a singing church only so everything you do is singing that's impossible because that doesn't display the multifacetedness that God intends for us to do and you know the interesting thing the few who can sing because of grace will cover up for the few who can't which lets you know everybody was not meant to sing Look what he says though. So much so that those in the body were so unappreciative, were so inconsiderate of what they did because the Corinthian church was a multi-gifted church with all of its talent in a city context that needed that kind of approach. In the first 11 verses, Paul reminds them of the previous life that you have and it appears that they were very gifted people in their former life or their other life outside the church. And Paul says that when God saved you, he saved you to use your gifts that you might end up in return helping create interdependence in the body of Christ. But they were upset after coming into the church. And I would argue, I wonder if they did this outside of the church but when they became a part of the church, they start looking at someone else's gift and desired not only what they had, but devalued what they had. Am I making sense to you? They looked at someone else's gift and desired it while devaluing the gift that they were given themselves. How do you know that preacher? Look at verse 15. It's clear in the text. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. Now, none of us in this room, I don't think, from what I can see, can completely understand that statement 
because all of us got hands. But try to imagine for a moment if you did not have hands and attempting to do what you do now in your daily task, could it be possible? And yet, to undervalue what you have is a violation of God's grace, says Paul. In essence, you told God or are telling God you made a mistake in giving me what you've given me. You have decided that because I'm a hand, I am less valuable to the body than the feet. And that's not what God says at all in his presentation of gifts. Look back at verse 15. If that hand says that because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. As small as the ear is, if you don't think the ear is valuable, shut off your hearing for a while. And you don't even really see your ear. All you see is the outer casing of what your ear is. But the composition of the organ itself is deep inside the cavity of your skull. And yet, because all you are is an ear, you cannot say I'm not valuable to the body of Christ. Translation, because all you do is change light bulbs in the sanctuary, that doesn't mean that your contribution to that sanctuary is not significant. If you think so, show up one night for worship service and none of the light bulbs work. Somebody will quickly recognize where, where the light's at. Who's supposed to change the light bulb? No, no, you, you thought that wasn't an important job because no one trumpets that you change the light bulbs all the time. No one puts it in broad writing that you are a blessed light bulb changer. No one prophesied that you would do this until Jesus come. Nobody told you that people would flock to the body because you changed your life. And Paul says just because you don't get recognition by those on the outside doesn't mean that your contribution is not valuable by those on the inside. He says in verse 16, 16 if, I, if the ear should say that because I'm not an eye, I'm not an important part of the body. That doesn't make it any less reason that it's a less part of the body, and it's not. In fact, he said, if the whole body were nothing more than an eye, verse 17, then where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But God, verse 18, place the members, each one of them, in the body just as God desires. I thought you'd be shouting on that point. Everybody wants to be a star. Everybody wants to be popular, recognized, touched as the one person in which the show cannot move without their presence. That's the pronouncement of those who are questioned on the stage of life, and particularly if you remember in the realm of entertainment, whether one's an athlete or a musical profession, everybody wants to be a star and they want to make a lot of money. I want to be a star and I want to make money and yet, in the body of Christ, the same desires exist, except there's a bit of a shift in the objective, and that is, you might want to be a star, and you might want to make lots of money. I got to tell you immediately, you're in the wrong business if that's your desire. But in the Christian business, everybody really is assigned to be a star. God intends for the whole body to be a multiplicity of stars if you really want to shine for his glory. 
but the star is not intended to entertain. That's not your calling as a Christian. And I'm mighty sad to confess that we've shifted from empowerment to entertainment nowadays in church settings. I mean, I don't know about you, and I, of course I guess this can be concluded as a personal preference, but I got an issue with smoke coming up on the stage. Folk hanging from the ceiling. I saw a Christian concert the other night and the drummer was hanging from the air. I said, my Lord, what the, what is that? And you know what I said? Here's a problem I have. Back in 1977, that ain't no different than the Bootsy Collins concert I went to. We did the same thing. When Bootsy Collins came out hollering, wind me up, smoke was coming. When the starship, now y'all may not have been around long enough to remember that. But when the starship came down, we had lighting coming up from the floor. You, you remember those sparkles that can spring up and fly? I saw that at a Christian concert. And I said to myself, that ain't God's glory. That just can't be. Now you might say that's aesthetics, Pastor. It very well could be, but I just keep hearing Peter in the back of my mind avoid the appearances of evil. That's the problem I have with that kind of approach. It doesn't suggest that the body is reverent for the kingdom of God. Instead, the stars on the stage is not empowering because you do know that you can show up and pretend to be empowering in the name of Jesus and never do anything for God's glory. The stars for the kingdom of God in this text 1 Corinthians 12 have an entire different objective and they are going to shine they're going to illuminate but if you're going to shine for God's kingdom recognize your calling is to emancipate people that means to help people come out of a dark space that they might go into a lighted space to help people lift burdens and to help them find freedom instead of constantly remaining in bondage. Emancipation is the job of the body of Christ because in verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 12 this is a part of caring for one another and it doesn't matter who the caring is for the least or the most and I might mind you as I get a little further in the text God says through Paul in fact it's the least that I'm going to magnify more than the most. And James addressed that in his epistle when he says, just because somebody comes in your church and they got money and you escort them to the front of the church, that's wrong when somebody comes in who's poor and you make them sit in the back. As if we don't even do that now because our first indication is if that person can contribute to us, or that person has clout and status, we want to cling as close as we can. Whereas the peasant, the less resourceful, you don't know, might be the very angel of light that God sent into your setting to help you see where your motive is for kingdom business. So your job is going to be to emancipate. Your job is going to be to elevate to help them get up from where they are. Your job is going to be to empower them to infuse them with powers, A, through your words of affirmation because sometimes people just simply need to hear a word that resonates in their spirit or that gives them human confirmation of their ableness to succeed. It reminds them that you don't have to stay where you are. You don't have to tolerate violence. You don't have to do self-violence. But this word that we speak 
particularly for those who may be struggling with what I call self-imposed mental health challenges. They need that word. Or you can help empower them by the word of God, utilizing the scripture to help them see God's worth and value in their life. That's a part of helping them realize they are a part of the body of Christ. And might I remind you, this is not just for folk on the outside. But on Sunday morning, you have a number of people in the church who love Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, but who struggle with self-identity, with self-awareness, and who have their own particularities in terms of mental health issues. And interdependence said, I read it in the text, when one suffers, we all suffer. Now you may not see that because you're probably saying to yourself, that's them that has that issue. But it's a reflective of us. How do you know that? Just go back to Genesis chapter two and chapter three where Adam wakes up and notice that Eve exists, you know what he says? He doesn't say, there's somebody else over there. He doesn't say, I don't know what that is. But he says, whoa man, this is bone of my bone. Read that text. My bone and flesh of my flesh. In other words, Paul is lifting up for us the importance of Jesus' ethic. Love one another as I have loved you. So if it hurts you, it better well hurt me. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's congregational awareness of my brother and my sister who's struggling in their journey. Because if all it is for me to succeed in not reach back and help, there's a problem with that mentality. So not only empowered, but says Paul, to encourage. That's, that's what we, we do, we encourage. We talked about that last week. Encourage one another, says Paul. We complicate the Bible and Christian living, and it's so simple. How hard is this? Encourage one another, speak a word, that brings one to a space of decision because the decision will be hinged upon their now mental comprehension that I am worthy, says God in his word. How hard is it for us? It's a stretch. I shouldn't say the word hard. It's a stretch. When God says, love as I have loved you. Because our temptation is categorizing the person's offense to us. Was it small? Was it medium? Was it large? Because if it's large, that means that's a God thing. That's going to take God to help me love you again. If it's small, I, I can do that. I can look beyond that. And Jesus says to us, do as I did. Do as I do. I did. I looked beyond that when I embraced Calvary. I do every day when I give you my grace and mercy after you have violated me in the presence of others. So we got a different journey in terms of understanding how we can be lights, stars for the kingdom of God. You won't make a lot of money, as I said before, but yet you won't find cheers, you won't find a crowd, won't be no limelight, but you'll find satisfaction in what I call internal assurance that I've helped someone along the way so that my living won't be in vain. If that's our objective, then you're on your way to shining like a star. As a follower of Jesus, in this text, says Paul, he calls us to care for one another, particularly in the church. We are called to shine and illuminate as lights. We are so that we are to help others become stars 
who are suffering from the scars of life. Did you catch that? We are to help others become stars who are suffering from the scars of life. Says Soren Kierkegaard, the great Danish theologian, what good is it for God to heal you only for you to recognize you have yet to heal anybody else? What good is that for us to have God give us grace, says Carl Barth, and we don't share that grace with others who stand in need of it. Jesus makes it clear if you can't forgive, then the Father is not going to grant you forgiveness. It's the same in terms of loving and caring. If you don't want to care for anybody else, then God says you're going to have a hard time in life because actually all human beings are interdependent and not independent. We got to admit that we love independent personalities. We bathe in people who cross the sea in a rowboat all by themselves, who climb Mount Everest, all by themselves, who succeeded in the task, all by themselves. We love that independence because it in return suggests to us that that person has fortitude and strength and endurance and possibly wisdom. But we fail to remember no one operates independently. You can't climb Mount Everest all by yourself without the interjection of God's strength in your legs and mind to help you get up the mountain. You can't row across the sea of life all by yourself without the interjection of God's hand and arms on you to help you row through the winds of adversity. You can't succeed in life challenges all by yourself without God pouring grace and mercy into your journey day after day. We are all interdependent and if it had not been for somebody praying for you at a distance and you were not even aware that there was at the altar crying out on your name, you didn't get there by yourself. You didn't come out of the foothills of Georgia all by yourself. You didn't arise up the ranks all by yourself. Somebody prayed for you. Somebody had you on your mind. Somebody looked out for you. Somebody asked God to open some doors because we are interdependent on each other. And when we realize that, as a community, we'll become far more productive. All of us are sufferers. If not now, keep living, you will be with scars from this life. Some of those scars will be visible. People can see them. Some of those scars will be concealed because they're deep inside the soul. All of us can recognize from time to time, if not, keep living, you'll see where you need some help to deal with them scars. Because some of those scars are so deep that they create a mistrust of other human beings. And it takes a divine intervention, God sending someone who can help you identify that not everybody is as bad as you think they are. I'm going to give you a little piece of history. You probably already know it, but if you do, then it's a regurgitation of what you already know. People have questions about whether, and this is a personality we don't talk about, and if I had time, I'd tell you why we should talk more about him, but no one talks about Malcolm X. We've been brainwashed to think that Malcolm X was a bad guy. You got to understand, Malcolm X is a three-dimensional person. You have to understand the personality of Malcolm Little. Then you got to understand the personality of Malcolm X. Then you got to understand the personality of Malcolm Shabazz Muhammad. Before Islam, during Islam, and after the nation of Islam. After the nation of Islam is his visit to Mecca. 
And upon his visit there, he come to recognize in the Arab world that not all Caucasian people are devils like he previously thought. He recognized that there were some who may not actually be white racist, but who are brothers and sisters just like he was. And his realization came when he looked at all of the various hues of Arabs right there where he was and realized even though they don't look like me, that doesn't mean they hate me. I'm trying to get you to see what happened when you've been deeply scarred. And he had been deeply scarred in believing that what Elijah Muhammad had taught him, that all white folk were evil and devils, not until God, you can argue with me all you want, until God gets him to Mecca, opens up his eyes and shows him the diversity of God's body. I'm hitting home now of God's body that not everybody going to be a Protestant Christian. That God has a multiplicity of believers in him that might believe differently than you do. But they believe who he is and that belief opened his eyes and he came back from Mecca realizing I've got to change my mentality because God is a God that even when we are scarred by life, he'll send somebody our way who will open up our eyes enough to let them in and can help us heal from the scars that we have. Do you not know that every Sunday, I can't tell you who it is, but somebody comes to this church wanting to know, is there a word from the Lord and is there somebody who can help me deal with the scars that I've gotten from this life? And Paul is elevating that right here in the text because he knows that it's our responsibility that can revolutionize a person's life if we care for them as Christ cares for his church. It's not only a revolutionary point, but Paul says we can revive a dead or dying community by simply loving people back to life do you believe that do you actually believe we can love someone back to life because caring can be quite a resurrection inducer can bring someone back to where they were can bring them back to life who's been wounded who are limping who are in the cast from the broken bones of life and who need the nurture to get where they are because they are psychologically bruised. And Jesus did that. Jesus repeatedly addressed these caring opportunities every time he moved in Palestine. It didn't matter whether the person was crippled at the pool for 38 years, they experienced the care of Jesus. Whether they had a blood infection for 12 years, whether it was the woman who was standing and being manipulated by the customs and laws of the day, he cared. Or whether he was sitting across the table from the one that he knew would betray him, he cared. And that's why in the text of not only 1 Corinthians 12, but in Romans 12 as well, almost a mirror what you find in both texts, Paul paints the image that the church is reflective of the human body because she is interdependent and not an independent organism. Have you noticed that? She's intertwined with the good and the bad, with young and old, mature and immature, the in and out, mixed and operative, interdependent and in both contexts Paul makes clear that no single operative extremity of the body can say that it is independent or that one is more important of the other regardless of the side is that not what we get in the text listen to what Paul says in verse 17 if the whole body were an eye where would the hearing be if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. And if they were all one members, where would the body be? Verse 20. 
but now there are many members, but one body. And on the contrary, and that's an important word, on the contrary, it says to us, contrary to what you may think in your body. Look what he says. It is in the text much truer. Let's go back to verse 21. That I can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. And the hand can't say to the feet, I don't need you either. You're not important. And Paul says, you're all wrong. You are interdependent because it necessitates the reason why God gave you gifts. That's what verse 1 through 4 is about. That's why God gave you gifts, verse 27 through 31. God gave you gifts in the body to show how different you are. Operating in the same body, but yet you got different hats that were meant to build the body. Here's why, to make it relevant all the time. All the time. And those gifts were to provide and culminate in this ultimate expression in verse 25 that we call caring. And Jesus made it clear that caring is not just a pastoral role, it's a parishioner's role. And we quote Matthew 25 this morning where Jesus says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me the drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you came to see me. Nowhere in that text does it suggest that it's a restricted role for the pastor. How do you know that, preacher? Well, Jesus says you're going to stand before the judgment seat one day and somebody's going to ask me the question, when did we see you like this? And Jesus' response was, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. In other words, Jesus said, this caring motif is for everybody in the body because I made you to be interdependent of one another. Well, what did that really mean? Why did God give us these incredible gifts? See what it says right here in the text where he gave us gifts? If you look down at verse 28, some apostles, some prophets, some teachers, some do miracles, some got the gift of healing, some do helping, some got administration, some has various kinds of tongues. Not everybody's an apostle, not everybody's a prophet, not everybody's a teacher, and the list goes on. But why? Because I gave you these gifts, number one, to be influential. I want you to influence people's lives by my grace. Do me a favor, take your Bible and back up with me back to chapter 12. Go back to verse 4 and listen to what the text says. Now there are some, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Look at verse 5. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. Look at verse 6. And there are varieties of effect, but the same God who works all things in all persons. In other words, Paul says, God gave us these diverse gifts. Some of you sing, some of you preach, some of you teach, some of you serve, some of you help, some of you can pray, lay hands, and, and healing comes through you. God says he purposely did that so that no one can boast that they own the house of God. But that everybody works in unison and in the interdependence of one another, we all depend on the same spirit and the same Lord who gets the effect of all of our works. And that is that God would get the glory when all that we say and do. That's the objective of having a diverse body. You want to know what influence is? Let me tell you how it works. Princess Diana when she was married to the Prince of Wales, Prince Charles. Most people don't recognize, but Princess Diana had more influence 
in the UK, in fact, all around the world, than Prince Charles. And Prince Charles was the prince. How could that happen? Well, you know, they only had a four-year marriage, very short. But in that four years, Princess Diana had the gift of helps. She cared for the poor. She cared for those who were downtrodden. She cared for those who were marginalized. And she sort of snubbed her nose at the status quo. And because of that, the people of the UK identified with her sensitive spirit. And she had more influence than the prince, so much so to the point that you remember when she died, all of UK came to a complete stop. And I don't think it was just because she was the princess. I think it's because of her care of those who were often overlooked. And she was willing to walk where the poor lived and was willing to serve the poor. Even though she went back to her palace, she was willing to stay down where they were. She almost reflected the work of Jesus. She was willing to stay where they were that they may not just see life, but feel it. Recognize that he was a savior who cared about them. She even touched persons who were affected by AIDS. When the culture from the medical field was contending that you might want to maintain your distance, she laid hands on them, embraced them. Talk about influence. And her influence may never really register in the earthly realm. But I got a sneaky suspicion. In the books of eternity, there is written there something about this expressiveness of care that this young lady gave that Jesus tells us he wants us to give through Paul. Look at verse 25. There should be no divisions among you, but y'all, that's that southern twain, y'all should care for one another in the body of Christ. Influence. There's also something here that Paul says, and I read it through verses 20 and 27. Paul says, not just influence, but impact. I want you to have an impact on people's lives. Notice in the earlier verses, uh, there was the motif of that which is weak, and those who feel like they are the weaker ones, and those who feel like they are the stronger ones, the stronger ones always have dominance over the weak. And Paul says, not so. And when you read the second letter that he writes to the Corinthians, Paul comes back later and tells them, let me tell you how this weakness thing works. I was stabbed in my flesh, buffeted in the spirit, in my body. I had a thorn in my flesh. And I prayed to God three times, get this out of me. And God didn't remove it. In fact, God said, in your weakness, you are your most strong. Translation, Paul says, if you underestimate the weaker ministries in your church, you'll come to discover that your church will suffer from anemic because it's what you think is insignificant is the very thing that God says I'm going to use. Case in point, I told him this morning, you don't think it's important in the 21st century that there's somebody in the vestibule who greets the person who comes through that door to visit your church. If you don't think it's important to have somebody there with a smiling face. How are you doing this morning? So glad to see you. Welcome to Great Little Zion Baptist Church. Sanctuary is right here. Please feel free to use our facilities if you need be. We'd love to have you. Here's a visitor's card. Would you please fill that out so we can recognize you doing worship service? Think 
that a wounded soul who we say stumbled into this church on that Lord's day made their way to that vestibule and saw that smiling face when they probably didn't want to come anyway because their life was overshadowed by the burden in which they've had in that previous week. But when they saw that face, what seems to be so insignificant, just somebody standing out there in the vestibule or somebody who's out in the parking lot and the rain is falling outside and they're standing out there serving the church on behalf of the Lord with an umbrella and somebody pulls up and they're Sunday to do best and they walk to that car and say, Madam, let me help you get to the sanctuary so you won't get wet. If you don't think that's an impressive thing, but that's a weak ministry. Oh no, that's a strong ministry because that very hospitality may decide, I'll just come back again just because they were so hospitable when I came to church. God says to Paul, what you think is weak in fact, when Paul said that thorn in my flesh, when I prayed, God says, nope, I ain't taking it away. Wanna know why? Because my grace is sufficient in your weakness. No matter what your gift is, I don't care what it is to serve the body, it is not insignificant. Don't think in your mind that it is. I won't tell them what I can do because they won't think it's important. We need to hear it, trust me. Because you are valuable in the body of Christ. We need you in this house. And you need a job. You need to work for the kingdom. Don't be a pew sitter. Don't come to church and just sit on the pew and go home. You stealing. You stealing. You come just to get information, then leave. We need to inform you so you can serve. We're equipping you so you can serve. Don't come just to get, come and get involved. People talk about change. You don't get no change unless you get involved. Change don't happen until you get involved. The status, status quo continues. Malcolm X talks about revolution. He says, we really don't understand what revolution means. Revolution, no revolution occurs. He goes back to 1776 when he talks about the, the American Revolution, talks about the French Revolution, talks about the Korean Revolution, talks about the Chinese Revolution. No, no revolution occurs. Check this out. Listen to me clearly. Hear me now. Are you listening? You can't have revolution without bloodshed. Yeah, that'll, that, that'll get you quiet. That'll get you quiet. You got to be willing to shed blood. You got to be willing to pay the price if you won't change. Y'all done got quiet on me. All right, let me move on. Impact. Notice the word repetitious in the, in the text. Member, members, member, members, member, members, member, members. Because Paul wants to remind us we're bone of bone and flesh of flesh. Look what he says, if you would. Verse 22, on the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary and those members of the body which were deemed less honorable, on, those, on these we bestow more abundant honor and our unseemly members come to have more abundant seamlessness. Wait a minute, did, did I read that right? Paul said that we put more honor on those who are weaker and seem less significant. We elevate them? Yes, says Paul, because the entire body ought to experience equality. I almost got thrown out. I, didn't but I almost got thrown out of seminary back in 011 because I went to a seminary that didn't support women in ministry they, they don't allow women to teach at all 
In fact, the only time a woman can teach is she's teaching Sunday school and it has to be elementary students. Isn't that absurd? Isn't that archaic? That's that patriarchal kind of mindset. Now somebody said, Pastor, why'd you go there? Because it was free. I didn't have to pay for it. Um, but I, I had to deal with that, and I told them, you know, this is, this is uh, not, yeah, you are racist. I already know you're racist. I knew that when I got here. But you're sexist. Uh, and they called me into question. So I went into Dean's office like, what's up? What, what you want to talk about? Yeah, I said, you're sexist. And then I said, show me in the text where it says that a woman cannot preach cannot teach, cannot serve in the body of Christ. And I said, let me help you. Don't even think about going to where Paul says women should keep silent in the church because you know, as well as I know, Paul is heavily influenced by cultural mentality. So if you want to work with me there, I'm not a scholar like you are, but I'm going to fight you and I'm going to die believing what I believe. So you want to kick me out, I can drive back to Virginia just like I got here. Ain't no problem. My Hummer's sitting right out there in the parking lot. And give me about five minutes, I go right by the gas station. For the next 10 hours, I'll drive my little butt right on back down to Fairfax. Which it don't bother me a bit. But I'm not changing my position. I have, and, I, and you, of course, you're the only woman I ever had. I wrote in my dissertation, I got a woman in my pulpit. I licensed her. Oh, boy, they called me on that. So, what, what's, what's the problem? I said, because if she said God called to preach, are you God? What, did you, I, the last I looked, I don't see your name in this text. I made the point, I raised that point because God demands a level of equality in terms of gifts. I can't tell a woman that you can't serve in this church because you're a woman. That is absurd. And in fact, if I had to depend on the brothers, we probably wouldn't even have a church. Because the composition of our church is more what? Women than it is men. And I, that whole patriarchal thing where, you know, we say we got to have men in leadership and all that, that's, that's, that's stuff that we've learned from somebody else. That, that ain't Bible. That ain't scripture. That ain't the book. I'm looking for who's got the gift, the talent, the desire, the will to get the job done. I don't care if you're male, female. Hey, if Spot can come up in here and his four legs and get it done, I'm welcoming Spot. Long as Spot can get it done, I don't care. Tell Spot sit, Spot sits. Go fetch, bring him in here. Right here in the text, Paul says. What we think is weak is God's presence of strength. Look what he says in verse 24. Whereas our seemingly members have no need of it, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lack. Go back to the verse line, the first line of verse 24. Whereas our seeming or our seemingly members have no need of it. See, that's those who say you got to be careful who does what because, you know, we should have more of this or more of that. Doesn't it? In fact, Paul says you can expect that. You can expect him to say that. But look what he says in the next line. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked. That there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Here's my final point. We are given gifts to care for one another, to influence, secondly, to impact, and third, to empower. Look at verse 26 and 27. Not only should we care for one another, but 26, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. We are Christ's body and individually members of that body. Translation, we should take the time to care for persons and empower them for life 
so that when they leave the four walls of the church, they can operate in their business, in their academy, wherever they are in terms of their pursuit. God gave the church this kind of structure so that his glory can be seen in creation. Lee Spitzer proposes that congregations make themselves stronger by becoming a place, here it is, and then I'm done, where genuine friendships at various levels can be created and sustained. Genuine friendships at various levels can be sustained. A healthy church, he says, a healthy congregation, attracts new members by providing a safe environment for spiritual growth and positive personal relationships. Then he says, making friends is the first step toward making disciples. He that desires friends must first show himself friendly. So let's work at taking care of each other as Paul admonished us in the text, let's work at helping and encouraging each other, no matter our gift. Let's work at honoring those that we know who feel like their contribution is less significant than others. Let's remind them of how important it is that every little piece helps. Because that's the way God designed us. Because we are bone of bone and flesh of flesh. And yet we are of the same body of Christ. I need you. You need me. We are all a part of God's We need each other in this house. All across this room, we are in one, three predicaments. In a storm, just came out of a storm, on the way to one. And God's grace may enable us to get from point A to point B. But I can guarantee you this, along that way, you're going to need some help. Here's a statement for you to chew on, and then we're going to get ready for communion. Jesus appears on the scene as an independent person. In fact, he's God incarnate, so you would think he doesn't need anybody else. Who, who else could you possibly need when you're God? And yet, for 30 years, we see him in a sense of that independence. But he's yet not independent. The Father is still working with him and through him. And then for the next three years, he spends that closely connected to 12 individuals, giving us that model of why we are interdependent. Even the Son of God needed 12 others to accomplish the task while he was in Jerusalem. And Jesus left this word for us in John 16. These works that I do shall you do also, but greater works than these when I go to the Father. And that was Jesus' way of saying, right now, even though I'm God, I'm limited in Jerusalem. I can only go here, go there, go here in the flesh. But when I leave, I'm going to send back the comforter, my presence by way of spirit who will live in you. But by living in you, I'll be all over the world, everywhere at the same time. I'll have Christians in America and Christians in Indonesia. I have Christians on this side of the world and folk on the other side of the world. In other words, I have the whole ministry interdependent on one another 
and there'll be disciples all around in these areas doing ministry. We need each other. We need each other. Ever read a story in the Gospels where the disciples made it through a storm on their own? There's always the help of the master on board. And we'll never make this journey on our own. There's always a story of the master on board. Lord, let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. For indeed, you are our strength and our redeemer. Somebody today, God, I pray in 